0: Ra, um, ra Ta roon, runa, naroon, naroon na Ta hora kumba kumba noon Ta hara lamba noon Ta lamba ta runda, Ta Munda ta run rundarom Ta mundarom, ta munda lamba mundarom ta To Isengard, the Isengard, Isengard Be ringed and barred with doors of stone the guard be strong and hard And cold as stone and bare as bone We go, we go, we go to war To hew the stone and break the door For bowl and bow are burning now The furnace roars, we go to war the land of gloom, with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come to Eisen with doom. We come, with doom, we come, with doom, we come. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Radio, the one podcast to rule them all. The home of Lord of the Rings Radio is L O T R Radio dot com. This is episode nine, and it is March two thousand and six. I want to start off by apologizing for another late episode. That uh, seems to be becoming a rather nasty habit of mine. And I guess what I need to do is stop calling this a monthly podcast. It hasn't been monthly for quite a while. Um, So what it's going to be, I guess, is a quasi-monthly podcast. I'm going to try to get episodes released every month still, um, you know, four to five week intervals. Some months, hopefully, it'll be sooner. Some months, assuredly, it will be longer than that. Um, I I don't want to disappoint anyone. I, you know, I want to get these episodes out, um, but I've got a busy life, and sometimes other things take precedence, but um, I'm going to keep plugging away, we'll keep releasing episodes, and hopefully we'll still stay in the neighborhood of one episode a month. And once again, I want to encourage all you listeners out there to contribute to the podcast if you'd like. Um, that helps me out a lot. This month, we've got a nice, long contribution from a fellow who goes by the name of Rimbicano. On, in our forums at lotrradio.com So if you feel like you want to do something like that if you want to do a, a reading from a part of Tolkien's work that you like and have it in the podcast or if you just want to record your thoughts on a, some certain aspect of Tolkien's work please send it in It's It helps me out a lot um, So I encourage everyone to do that Also I want to remind everyone that you can go to lotrradio.com You can sign up, become a member uh, join our forums, and join in the discussion there. If you have any questions, you can post them there, and they'll get to me, or you can email me. My email address is Aaron A. Wolf at com. That's A-A-R-O-N-A-W-L-F-E at gmail.com. This is going in as an afterthought, but I'm having uh, massive server problems right now. My host has showed that they are inept in pretty much every way possible. Uh, so it looks like I'm going to be moving the website to a new server which uh... hopefully won't go too badly but uh... might be a couple of days uh... as of right now the website is down uh, hopefully by the time you are listening to this it will be back up i will try and get it up and at least get it functioning so that episodes can be downloaded immediately uh... but it might take a couple of days to get the forums and other things back up and uh to their previous state, so I apologize for this. I'm in the process now of finding a new host which is reasonably priced, and um, as soon as I get things up, I will let you know. Okay, for this episode, we, uh, we'll start off with the news, and after that we've got a listener contribution from Rimbicano. He kind of goes into his thoughts on art and poetry in Lord of the Rings. After that, I'm going to discuss Lord of the Rings gaming, and we will finish up with our character discussion. Today we have Turin Bar. We have a few interesting news items for this month. To begin with, we have uh, Marquette University Press releasing the group of articles that were originally presented at their 2004 conference. These are articles by 20 scholars of J.R.R. R. Tolkien, and you can uh, order them uh, it's a 387-page case-bound volume. It uh, costs $32, and shipping is $3.50. Um, the address that you need to send the check to is on their website, and I will post a link to their website on my website, otrradio.com. Um, Marquette University is pretty cool because they have some original transcripts and, and documents from Tolkien uh, that you can go and view. And they also have a... Uh, a book with uh, drawings and original man- manuscripts from Tolkien that you can buy. Uh, and that's another thing that's listed on their website. It's a 44 page book. Um, it's got three essays and ten illustrations from Tolkien. Uh, to order that, you can send them a check for $25. And uh, you can do that on their website too. So I will get a link to that up at lotrradio.com. There's also a bit of news on the Hobbit movie front. The rights to make The Hobbit are split between New Line and MGM. New Line has the rights to produce the movie and MGM has the rights to distribute it. Now, MGM was purchased 18 months ago by a group of investors and since then they have uh, basically been doing nothing. Um, but recently there is an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, detailing on how MGM was going to re-enter the distribution arena. So, perhaps it's a bit of good news um, thinking that maybe they have in mind to get the Hobbit made and come to some sort of an agreement with New Line to get that done. So, a little bit of action there. Nothing real definite, but uh, probably a glimmer of hope on the horizon for getting the Hobbit made. There's also some news from the 2006 Toy Fair uh, that's Lord of the Rings related. Uh, There's a few new items coming out this year. Gentle Giant Studios are going to be creating some animated resin collectibles Lord of the Rings. They had some prototypes there. Uh, Aragorn, Frodo, Sam, and Gimli. Uh, they're going to be creating those characters as resin busts. And they're also going to make some animated maquettes, um, which look to be fairly interesting. These items are going to go from anywhere from 50 to $80, and kind of they look like they're going to compete with some of the Sideshow and Weta items. Now also, um, Art Asylum is going to continue making mini mates this year and sideshow collectibles is of course going to continue they've announced their 12 inch figures action figures and they're going to keep going with the premium format statues too so while the action figures from toy biz are are gone now there's still quite a bit of lord of the rings merchandise scheduled to keep coming out that's it for news items for Episode 9. I want to remind you that if you have any announcements or events coming up that you want to see in our new segment, you can go to the website, lotrradio.com, and there's already a thread started in the forum for news suggestions. Or, if you don't want to do that, you can email those to me at aaronawolf at gmail.com. Continuing on, we now have a listener contribution. This came from... Rimbicano, he goes by that name in our forum at lotrradio.com, he sent this in, this is his, some of his views on artist renderings of Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's work, and also a little bit on the poetry of Lord of the Rings. So here is Rimbicano.
1: Okay, so this is the new art and poetry section. And we will start off by discussing what we find necessary in the portrayals of Middle-earth through visual art, and we will later go on to discussing Tolkien's poetry in The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and The Silmarillion. Okay, so to start off with the visual art, um, really I think we all have our own visions of what Middle-earth should be and how it should be portrayed, but... I think there are a few base things that we all want to find. First of all, when I'm looking at a piece of artwork portraying Middle-earth, I look for a connection between the characters portrayed and nature. It seems to me that the artist should really do justice to everything that Tolkien described and envisioned, it's like canon for fan fiction writers where you have your rules that are set and you need to apply by them and I think that artists should do this even more strictly than the fan fiction writers because what they paint can affect the way a reader sees the book and how they see the characters and nature Okay, now we'll move on to the characters and their portrayal. I think that the artists do their best to please us all. We all have our own views of what each character should look like, and I think it's really hard to get something that everybody's happy with. But... Be that as it may, I do think that there are a few things that the artists should stay away from. I don't think that Tolkien's work can be painted in a traditional fashion as to the elves and fairies of the 19th century, the garden gnomes. I think that these are too, too free of pain and the worries of life. Um I think that the elves and the dwarves. And the orcs are all something that. Go deeper than. The pretty fairies of. The 19th century. I mean. In a way they. They still retain that. Joy and gaiety. That. We are used to seeing, but they also have lived life, and they have aged and grown and I think they need that needs to be shown in their portrayal basically overall I really think that to do a good portrayal of Tolkien's characters that an artist needs to be able to break out of your normal fairy tale art and go into something deeper and richer and more real to us. Okay, um, just basically I think everything should go with the books, stay with canon, you have to really be able to have that to be able to do an effective piece of art without setting a few fans off. I also think that You need to be able to set up a good environment in which the characters are in. I think you need to stick with the book and the descriptions in the book. And I think this is one of the hardest parts for the artist to stick to because of the vivid descriptions given by Tolkien. And it makes it all the harder, but... I think this is one of the key elements to getting a good portrayal of Middle Earth. Okay, that will end our visual arts segment for the day. These, of course, are only my opinions, and I'd love to hear the other members of our podcast ideas on visual art of the Lord of the Rings. Um, okay, now on to poetry. I am going to be talking about um, Tolkien's poetry and verses and what messages and themes he brings across in it. Well, I think that Tolkien is able to say in his poetry and verses what he cannot or will not in his dialogue and narrative, I see it as one of his most powerful assets. The tale of Aaron and Luthien in The Silmarillion contains a poem which Aaron read in an earlier episode. And... I think this really adds to his dialogue and narrative. Um, he alludes to the contest of Sauron and Feligund and of their and of their contest of wizardry. I think that Tolkien brings across in these verses something more powerful than any of the dialogue he uses, I think that with the intense metaphors that he uses in this and the continued description from his narrative, that he is able to create something much more powerful than his normal narrative and dialogue when placed correctly. And I think he does this with the utmost ease and power. I think that his poetry shows visions of joy and sadness and great chaos, but I also think it shows tranquility and peace. And I think this is something that many poets strive to conquer and understand. Okay, so that'll end our poetry section. and. Again, these are only my opinions, and I'd love to hear others. So please post your opinions. I've set up a area on the forum where you can post your opinions on the art of poetry of The Lord of the Rings. I'm gonna finish with the reading of Bilbo's song in Rivendell. To they sings to Frodo in the Fellowship of the Ring. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer in autumns that there were, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. Sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, and people who will see a world that I shall never know. But all the while, I sit and think of times there were before. I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. Okay, that'll finish the art and poetry section for today. Thank you. I would like to encourage everybody to go online and sign the petition for the making of a movie based on The Hobbit, you can go to the, www.thehobbitfilm.com and sign the petition. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: In this episode, we are going to talk about gaming and Lord of the Rings. And I'm going to focus more on video games than I am on board games. I never really got into the board gaming seen as much as I did the video games I'm not really an expert on it I did play Dungeons and Dragons a little bit uh, years ago uh, but for this episode I'm going to talk uh, more about video games and perhaps in a later episode we'll we'll get into the board gaming thing because I know both both are very popular and there's a lot of good games out there for video games and board games I remember after I finished reading Lord of the Rings for the first time I thought man somebody's got to make that into a video game I had I was a big fan of uh, some other Dungeons and Dragons video games, role-playing games. I think Secret of the Silver Blades was one that I played more times than I should have, and I thought, man, if somebody would just make a Lord of the Rings version of that, it would be the best game ever. And this was probably early 90s, and there wasn't really that much out there in terms of Lord of the Rings video games. And, you know, the internet wasn't really around, in the form that it is today, so you couldn't just go out and find this stuff easily. You know, of course, I'd go to stores, and I'd get the video game magazines, and there was nothing in there. It was, uh, it was too bad, because I think they really missed out, and even today, you know, with the movies, you got a bunch of video games, some of them pretty good, some of them not so good. I really think they missed out on on what they could have done, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Uh, with video games, and they're kind of catching up today, and I guess the future's pretty bright. I think we're going to get a lot of really cool Lord of the Rings video games in the next five or ten years, because I think they're just going to, I hope at least, they're just going to keep building on the franchise. But before we really get into what's going on today, and in the future with Lord of the Rings gaming, I want to go over the history and kind of see where this stuff has come from. Now, it turns out that Tolkien... Based games have been around basically since the PC's been around. Uh, there were text-based role-playing games coming out uh, 79, 80, 81. Uh, I found a really good website uh, that's got a very good history of Tolkien games, and I'll post a link up on on my website lotrradio.com if you guys want to check it out. Um, but anyway, so these games were coming out early 80s, and the first ones were you know kind of sketchy. You can't find a whole lot of information on them. Uh, and I couldn't, I wanted to find one that I could download and, and play, you know, I've I've never played a text-based game. Um, but I know some guys who have, and apparently they're entertaining, and I guess back then when that was your only option, it was probably pretty cool. It seems that the first uh, successful Tolkien video game out there was uh, titled The Hobbit, released in 1982 by Beam Software. This was at least the first commercially successful video game. Uh, It sold more than a million copies. This was released on the Commodore 64. I believe you could get it for DOS and uh, on the Apple II. And it's actually a game that you can download now. And if you've got a Commodore 64 emulator, which you can get at various spots around the internet, you can uh, play it on your PC today. And this was kind of uh, an innovation in the world of computer games back then it is a text based game but it was one of the first I believe to kind of integrate some rudimentary graphics uh, into the game and they're, they're pretty plain by today's standards but uh, back then it was probably a pretty cool game so from 82 up to 1990 there was quite a few different uh, video games that were either loosely or closely based on Tolkien's work um, A lot of them, it seems, from reviews I've read, are are pretty poor, both functionally and graphically. And a lot of them just kind of steal Tolkien's names and don't really stick to the story much. Um, The only one I've actually played is called War in Middle-Earth. And for what it's worth, I think it was a pretty cool game. Um, You could get this on DOS. It seems that they were going to release... a Nintendo version, but they never did and I think you could also get it for the amiga and uh on Apple too uh, but what this game was it was kind of uh ahead of its time it was a kind of a strategy game. there was a large a large uh map of middle Earth, and you could move your forces around and when you had an encounter, it kind of zoom in and you'd you'd watch the battle. I don't think you could actually control much of what was going on in the battle. But, um, it was cool. The graphics, you know, weren't anything special. You know, and to look at screenshots of it now, it kind of seems, yeah, you know, like you could play it on Atari or something. Um, but I think for late 80s, it was a pretty good game. And this is another one that, uh, you can download. You can, um, still play it on your Windows XP computer. You just need, uh, uh some DOS software. I think DOSBox is a good one, um that you can download and and you can still play this game. In 1990, one of the best Lord of the Rings video games ever, really, I think, was released. This is Lord of the Rings Volume 1 by Interplay Productions. This game was originally to be released on Commodore 64, but by 1990, I think, Commodore 64 was basically uh, dead in the grave, so they released it on PC. And I found the game, I don't know if it was... Ninety or ninety-one—I don't think it was right when it was released, but anyway, it was just what I was looking for. You know, I'd finished the books; I was looking for a game that—that that was the books, you know—so I could kind of, you know, live the Lord of the Rings, and uh, it basically let me do that. It, you know, was a top-down RPG—you know, top view. You could control one up to ten characters. I think you could have in your party. And, you know, you went on all these little mini-quests, and it, you know, it didn't always stick to the plot um, totally. But, you know, it was was always in spirit, at least. You know, you can't expect any of these games to be 100% accurate. You wish, but, um, you know, they're not going to be. Uh, But anyway, it was uh, very good graphics, I think, for the time. You know, the music was decent, and the gameplay was very good. So, I think if you're a video game fan and you like these old video games and you're Lord of the Rings fan, this is definitely one that you should play. Um, it's one you can still get in the, the website that I link on my website. It has uh, some links to some downloads, so go ahead and check it out. And it was in 92 that the sequel to Interplay's Lord of the Rings Volume 1 was released, and that, of course, was Lord of the Rings Volume 2, The Two Towers. Now, this one I never played. I by that point, I don't know, I'd moved on to something else, and i it wasn't something that you could find in stores either, because I remember looking for it, and um I, I never could find it, but anyway, it's the sequel to the first one, and apparently it's supposed to be a really good game too, um much in the same spirit as the first one, uh, another one you can download, and I have downloaded it, and haven't really gotten around to looking at it yet uh but it's probably another one you should check out now that is where the the series ends. They did start development on uh, Lord of the Rings Volume 3, uh, but apparently Interplay didn't feel that there was enough uh, demand for it and killed the project there, which is too bad. You'd have liked to have seen it uh, run to its conclusion, but uh, two really good games from Interplay. Now after Interplay released Lord of the Rings 2, basically there wasn't much going on until the movies came around. I mean, there, there were other games. There were other text-based games released in the 90s. And, you know, some other graphical games, which, judging by their screenshots, you know, are nothing to get excited about. I haven't played any of them, but, you know, there was no major label games released um, after Interplay killed their projects. So, until basically the movies came about, there wasn't much out there. So, we've got the movies coming out, and I guess somebody finally woke up and said, hey, maybe we could make some money making Lord of the Rings video games. Hmm, imagine that. So, anyway, uh, this falls into basically two companies. Vivendi has got the literary license, and Electronic Arts has got the movie license. Although, I believe I heard the Electronic Arts, their license has been expanded or, or something, so their games can use some of the literary work. Um, Not sure about that, but I think that's the case. Anyway, we'll talk about Vivendi first. They've released three games. uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, which is kind of a first-person action-type game. RPG slash... I guess action-adventure is what you call it. Um, War of the Ring, which is a strategy game, and The Hobbit, which is kind of... action-adventure, more of a kind of a Sonic the Hedgehog kind of game. Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, I bought. It was my first Lord of the Rings game since the old Interplay games, so I was really excited about it. Uh, I got it, and uh, I could get like the first level, and after that, it was just full of glitches. Now, I upgraded to different video card, and got some patches, and it did work then, but overall, I was disappointed with uh, Vivendi's Fellowship of the Ring. It was kind of, um, I liked that it was based on the books and not the movies, um, for some reasons, but uh, instead of being faithful to the books, they make their own changes, which were worse than any changes that were made in the movies, so um, as far as the content, I didn't really like it. The one thing they're really bothered me and i don't know why it just sticks in my head um old man willow was turned into the whomping willow from harry potter which just drives me nuts um but anyway it was a decent game um you know if you're looking for a really good lord of the rings game that's not what you want to buy um it's okay uh, i wouldn't buy it again uh war of the ring uh their strategy game i've heard good things about i haven't played it yet um I don't have a lot of time to play games anymore. I'd like to. I, ideally, I'd like to play it. i like strategy games. Um, but this is a game where you can control, you know, either Sauron's forces or, you know, the elves and Gondor and, and, and all that. And uh, it's gotten good reviews, and I've got a friend who has it, and uh, he says it's really cool. So, another good one. Um, and The Hobbit, the uh, action game that they made, Has gotten really good reviews, too. I haven't played that either, but, uh, that's another good one you might want to check out. Electronic Arts seems to be the king of the hill when it comes to Lord of the Rings games today. Um, they started off with Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which is an action-adventure game based on the first two movies, Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers. And in the game, you can play as Legolas, Gimli, or Aragorn, and basically follow them through the movies and, uh, fight their battles and, and do what happened in the movie. Um, there's also a sequel to that, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which is basically the same thing, except uh, now you're in the Return of the King, the movie. Ye's biggest title seems to be Battle for Middle Earth, which is a strategy game based on Lord of the Rings, and it's kind of in the spirit of Warcraft, if you've played that. It's similar in some ways, and uh, different in others. I've played this game, and I like it quite a bit. Um, It doesn't stick faithfully to the book or the movies, really. In fact, in the first level, to get through it, you have to have all members of the Fellowship, including Gandalf, get through Moria, which, of course, never happened. The battle aspects of the game, though, are very good. You can control any type of creature or character that you saw in the movies. Uh, Elves, dwarves, orcs, men, hobbits. Uh, riders of Rohan in particular are kind of nice, uh, controlling the riders. You can slice through orcs pretty easily. It's pretty neat. Um, the building aspect of the game, I guess, I didn't really like. You had to put your buildings in pre-designed locations, so you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, custom things you could do. You know, I like games like Stronghold, where you can build these very uh, unique castles, and you can't really do that so much with the Battle for Middle Earth. But overall, it's a very, very good game. Um, I haven't finished it yet. I'm about halfway through it, but I would recommend it to anyone looking for a, a good strategy game in general, and also a very good Lord of the Rings game. And, of course, Battle for Middle Earth 2 has been released, too, so... That's another one you might want to check out. They have improved some things, I guess, and they got rid of the pre-assigned building location. So should be uh, even better than the first one. But uh, if you haven't played either, I'd check out the first one first. You can get it pretty cheap now. Another game from Electronic Arts that I would be excited for if they released it for the PC is uh, Lord of the Rings The Third Age. This seems to be the first true role-playing game based on Lord of the Rings. Now, uh, when I think of role-playing game, I think of the classic ones like you know, Legend of Zelda and uh, Baldur's Gate. You know, those to me are ro- role-playing games, especially Baldur's Gate. That was that was such a good role-playing game. And uh, the Third Age seems to be that type of game, which was something I've you know been looking for for a long time. But I can't play it because I don't have a console. I believe it's only released on uh, PlayStation 2, Xbox, and GameCube, which stinks. You know, why wouldn't they put that on the PC? But anyway, looks like really cool game. You know, you can be you know, good or evil. You can be uh, different races. You can customize your player, do all kinds of cool things that you get to do in role-playing games. Um, it's set in the time of the War of the Ring, and I think... Uh, various points in the game you will intersect with parts of the movies but I think it goes beyond the movies a little bit too and I believe that this is the result of their license being expanded they can kind of go to some other places that weren't covered in the movies so if you got a Xbox PlayStation 2 or GameCube check it out um, and I will envy you because I won't be playing it the last Electronic Arts game we're going to talk about is Lord of the Rings Tactics, and it was released for the Sony PSP, and they call it a tactical RPG. Uh, you can take control of 12 pre-selected heroes and villains, and uh, basically quests to either capture or destroy the one ring. Um, Don't know a lot about it. I haven't read any reviews of it. I'm just looking at at their website here. Uh, But if you have a PSP, it's probably a game you want to pick up. The last game that I'm going to talk about is Lord of the Rings Online, Shadows of Angmar. This game is not yet released. Uh, It's being produced by Turbine. And what it is, is an online role-playing game similar to World of Warcraft. It takes place um, at the time of the War of the Ring and the Hobbit. They have the literary license to produce online role-playing games for the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. So basically, you get to create your own character and explore Middle-earth. Sounds like a great game, great idea. I'm not sure of a release date. I looked over their website and really couldn't see any time they nailed down a release date. Uh, But they do have some cool trailers, lots of screenshots to take a look at. And a lot of information about different kind of classes and what kind of character you can be. Looks like you can only be uh, good characters, uh, dwarves, hobbit, elves, and men, to start with. At least they say, and perhaps later they will add evil characters. Uh, but a great idea, uh, probably long overdue, I think, if they do a good job, this this game will just be off the charts. I'm sure it will be very popular. So, um, lots of choices out there for Lord of the Rings gaming, really. There are a lot of good new games being made, and uh, there's a lot of good classic ones out there, too, you might want to check out. Any games that I've mentioned uh, in the podcast here, I'll put a link up on my website, lotrradio.com, so if you want to check them out more, you can do so. For character discussion this month, we are going to talk about Turin Turinbar. Now, he is probably my favorite character from The Silmarillion, and hopefully everybody has read The Silmarillion and, and knows who I'm talking about. Um, you know, he's certainly a tragic character of Tolkien's, but he's pretty interesting, and um, he's one of the. His story is one of the longest stories and most complete stories that Tolkien wrote about the First Age. So, who was Turin Turambar? Turin was the son of Hurin Thalion and Morwen Elidwin. Now, Hurin was of the House of Hador, and Morwen was of the House of Beor and those are two of the three houses of the Edain which fought with the elves in Beleriand against Morgoth Turin's given name means he who desires mastery uh, but Turimbar means master of fate and he took this name for himself after his uh, father was captured by Morgoth and a curse was laid upon uh, all the children of Hurin um, so he took up the name Turimbar in defiance of of this curse and this fate that was laid upon him by Morgoth. Turin's story is an interesting one to me, and it kind of goes to heart, because Turin always wants to do the right thing. He He's a very brave character, he's, he's valiant, he's courageous, he's strong, he's a strong warrior, um, but he makes wrong decisions, and maybe that's the curse of Morgoth coming home uh, but throughout his life, he makes these decisions, which, while his intentions are always good, uh, his decisions bring about evil consequences. Most of the mischances in Turin's life can't be blamed completely on Turin's actions, but of course he's not neither blameless. Uh, Saros the minstrel and Doriath uh, and Beleg Cathalion both died as a result of Turin's actions, and then. Um, when Turin went to fight at Nargothrond, uh, they built a great bridge over the river Narrag so they could quickly move out of Nargothrond, but because this great bridge was built, it allowed uh, the father of dragons, Glorong, to uh, cross over the bridge and enter Nargothrond. So because Turin built this bridge, uh, it brought about the, the downfall of Nargothrond. And then, of course, we have Turin going to the forest of Brethil, where he meets his long-lost sister, Ninor. Of course, he does not know it's his sister, and they fall in love and get married and you know, commit an incest. So Turin is really this, this man who is just lost in life. No matter where he goes, uh, he's not at home. When he was young, his father was taken captive, and his homeland was invaded by Easterlings so his mother sent him to Doriath with the elves and of course he was a man among elves there he wasn't at home so he fled there and uh, went and lived as an outlaw for a while and then to Nargothrond and then to and then to um, Brethil, and, and none of these places were his home. The only thing in his life that really seemed that he was good at and was familiar to him was fighting against Morgoth and that is the one thing where he really excelled uh, all of morgoth's underlings feared feared turin they all knew his name they all knew his sword and and the helm he wore so that was the one the one thing in turin's life that he could hold on to and say you know i'm a great warrior i'm a great enemy of morgoth you know, i've made all these other mistakes but but if i spend my life in battle against morgoth perhaps that will make up for them so Turin is kind of this this character that you really can get behind. At least I do. I mean, he has failings. He's not perfect. But his intent is always good. And, um, you know, you compare him to his cousin Tur, son of Hur. You know, Tur doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, he's, you know, a valiant warrior. And he doesn't make any mistakes in his life. Um, and because of Tur... Their, some of Gondolin was able to escape and, you know, continue on. So, you compare Turin to Turin, and you see, it's easier, I think, to relate to Turin, because he's not perfect, and he made mistakes. But really, in the end, he he triumphed. I mean, the the fate that Morgoth laid upon him was fulfilled. I mean, the curse came home. But Turin was able to accomplish great things in his life. Now, many of his actions had evil consequences, but he also did great good. I mean, the, the damage he did to Morgoth was great. He slew the great dragon Glorong. And, um, you know, in his fighting, and everywhere he went, he was a great enemy of, of Morgoth and uh, must have caused Morgoth great pain. So although in the end he couldn't live up to his name, he was able to do as much as probably anyone could have against the curse placed on him by someone as powerful as Morgoth. It's also interesting to think about the end of Turin's life and uh, how he ended uh, with Nianor coming upon him and presuming him dead and killing herself and then uh, Turin finding out she's dead, and then he kills himself. You know, So, very much like Romeo and Juliet. So, I think you see some of the influence that Shakespeare had on Tolkien, and you see it in other places, too. Um, It's not real prevalent. I wouldn't say Shakespeare was a great influence on Tolkien. And, you know, I wouldn't say that that came exactly out of Romeo and Juliet, but you can't help but draw comparisons. And it's really a fitting, tragic ending for what turned out to be a fairly tragic life. So those are my thoughts on Turin. You know, really a very interesting character, and and somebody that, you know, in my life, when I'm having a bad week and everything seems to be going wrong, and, you know, I kind of get something from that, you know, I feel like Turin. Everything, you know, everything I do doesn't turn out the way that I envision it. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those parts in Tolkien's works that you can really take and relate to your own life in some small way. All right, that's it for Episode 9 of Lord of the Rings Radio. I want to thank you all for listening. You can go to the website, Lotrradio.com, to post your feedback, any suggestions, any contributions you want to make, or if you just want to converse with the other members there, please do so. You can email me at aaronawolf at com. And again, I want to apologize for the lateness of the episode. You know, in the future, I I still want to strive for something every four to five weeks. Uh, I'm not going to guarantee every month anymore. And, uh, you know, sometimes it might be sooner, it might be later. But I will keep putting episodes out as long as people want to keep hearing them. Just want to give you an update on what's going on at lotrradio.com. We're still having some server troubles. My old host uh, is basically done nothing to fix them I have found a new host though and I'm in the process of transferring things and getting the website back up I hope to have it up in some form or another by Monday the 13th the forum and polls and stuff will probably take a few more days to get back up and working correctly and at any rate you should be able to still get the the, uh, podcast through iTunes if you can't get it right from the website uh, so bear with me. We'll try and get that going as soon as we can. This has been Episode 9 of Lord of the Rings Radio. Thank you for listening.
1: In a fiery breeze A funny little birds. They had no wings Oh, what shall we do With the funny little things Oh, what shall we do With the funny little things <laughs> roast them alive or stew them in a pot fry them, boil them, eat them hot bake and toast them, fry and roast them till beards glaze and eyes glaze till hair swells and skins black. And melts and bones blackened cinders lie beneath the sky so the war shall die. 15 birds in time for trees their
0: feathers were fed in a fiery breeze, but funny little birds, they had no wings. Oh, what shall we do? With the funny little things, oh, what shall we do?